Football is back, and BetMGM is inviting new customers to join the huddle and enjoy the action like never before. Sign up today using bonus code CHAMPION, and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. You'll also have instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, player props, and boosted odds specials. Just download the BetMGM app today or go to BetMGM.com and enter bonus code CHAMPION and place your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. The Bet MGM app is the perfect way to experience the excitement of wagering on live sports now in more markets than ever. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-888-532-3500. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for the pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word ABOVE to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text ABOVE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word ABOVE to 323232. Text above to 323232. Thank you for joining us. My name is Jerika, and we're excited to have you here with us this morning. Today, we are joined by our head of legal research, George Palsa, as well as Lutvia Simit, a legal counselor from the Durban branch. They will be taking us through the importance of having a will, as well as some of the requirements and formalities. I will now hand you over to George and Lutvia to get this conversation started. Over to you, George and Lutvia. Thanks, Jelika, um, and welcome to every attendee joining us on the importance of having a will and just bringing some, some awareness to why it is necessary to have a will. Lutvia and I will take you through the journey, albeit very short, um, we can basically cover a lot more explaining with you what a will is what the requirements of a will are, what happens if you don't have a will, um, and then we will also discuss different types of wills that you can um, draft, the clauses that can be included in a will, as well as how often you should update your will. And then we're going to address some questions after that uh, as that comes along, or if you want to ask questions after that. So I think with that in mind, and as I said, our aim is to bring awareness of you know, the importance of having a will and just explaining a little bit more about this um, so you can make a decision and say, well, I don't have a will, I do want a will in this regard. So without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to Litvia now, who will take us through what a will is. Thank you, George, and thank you to all our attendees attending today. We're very excited to show you the importance of having a will. And now that George has outlined what exactly will we doing um, in order to understand the importance of having a will, the first step would be for you to know what is a will. So if we're looking at what is a will, a will is a legal document 
in which you can make sure that your belongings are distributed in accordance with your wishes after your death. Now, this is also known as a freedom of station. Now, the freedom of station is the right of an individual to dispose of their assets, how they feel or how they wish to after they pass away. And it's important that although you have this right as a testator, you can't just exercise this right uh, as you please or uh, put whatever clauses in your will which you want to. You have to exercise this right of freedom of gestation in accordance with the law. And the law dictates that although you have freedom of gestation, your clauses in your will cannot be too vague, cannot be impossible to perform, cannot be unlawful, and um, you need to bear this in mind when you are exercising your right as a testator. And I think that when you have a will, the importance of it is that it provides you with some form of control after your death by saying you should get what. So for example, George, if you want your red BMW to go to me and you want your flat to go to uh, another person, you must stipulate this in your will. And that's the importance to ensure that uh, whatever you provide for will be done in accordance with your will. And I think George, now will be a good point for us to gauge with the audience and our attendees to see do you have a will? So you can answer yes or no, be as honest as possible so that we can assist you. And hopefully at the end of this, you'll want to have a will if you don't. So we'll just wait for those results to come in. Do you have a will, Latvia? I'm going to answer it at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I see the results are in and the majority of our attendees do not have a will. And I do hope that just bring some awareness again as to see that what will happen if you do not have a will and there are people here with a will and let's deal with that quickly now in respect of those who do have a will and let's just see what the requirements of that will are so what does the law say must the will comply with in order for it to be valid and enforceable after you pass away so when we look at these requirements the first one will be it must be in writing so that means it must be a physical document um, whether it's been typed or print or handwritten but there must be a physical document in order for this will to be valid. The second requirement is that it must be signed. And it's important to note that the, the Wills Act does not specify that it can be signed by a, a making an electronic signature, for example. So it must be physically signed as well, um, which is an important thing because as we head into the digital age, and as we saw now during the lockdown, everything is becoming a bit more digital, and it's interesting to note that whether this will catch up eventually and will the law allow for a will to be signed digitally. But at this stage, it must be physically signed. And just following on to the signature part, it must be signed by the testator. And that is the person whose will it is. So if I draft the will, I am the testator, as well as two witnesses. And with this, you must take note that the testator and the two witnesses must sign this in each other's presence. So they must be together. Um, when they sign the will. Then the, also part with the signatures that each page of the will must be signed as well as the will must be signed at the end of the document um, and the date must be given. And this is also important um, as we will later address in, the, in respect of the dates to see why this is an important aspect. And then there's the certain circumstances where it's not possible for a person to sign the will physically. Um, it can be that they are illiterate and they cannot write or that um, they do have a disability that does not allow them to um, sign the will. In those instances, it is possible for the will to be signed by making a mark. For example, just drawing an X or by putting your thumbprint at the end of the will. Um, just on, on, in that respect as well, it is important then to note that if you do that, apart from it being done 
together with the witnesses, it must also be done with the Commissioner of Arts in order for it to be a valid will. So these are just the requirements. So I think Litvia now would be a good point to just pinpoint a few examples that we have come across in the past um, with our experience as well. I know that this is some frequently asked questions just to see um, how we can explain it a little bit better. Definitely, George, and thank you for taking us through those requirements. And I think although these requirements are, are, are very specific when it comes to this legal document, let's look at a few practical examples. And maybe, George, you can tell us, uh, in a scenario like this, will this be considered a valid will uh, or not? And maybe you can explain more. So the first scenario is that John told Mary that he would want her to inherit everything he owns when he passes away. George, will this be considered a valid law, taking into account the requirements you just discussed with us? So I think in this, it's, it's easy for someone to say, listen, Lithia, I want you to inherit something after I pass away. But when we look at the requirements, the first requirement is that it must be in writing. So in this example, John told Mary. So he didn't draft the document, he just told her. So in this instance, this won't be considered as a valid will because it is not in writing. So always remember to, when you think about these um, types of scenarios, to go back to the requirements that we discussed already. Definitely. Thanks, George, for that clarity. And uh, in our next scenario, it says, John sent Mary an email that said she will inherit his entire estate. Now, will that be a, considered a valid one? So when we take this scenario and we pull it back to the um, requirements that we mentioned earlier on, it does comply with one rule that says it must be in writing. Because if you look at the legislation in respect of that, an electronic document does constitute the same as a normal document. So it does seem to um, tick that box of in writing. But the problem we have, we have here is that it is not physically signed. As I said earlier on, it cannot be signed digitally. So in this aspect, unfortunately, this email will not be considered to be a valid will. Um, and Mary will not inherit. However, there are instances where you can apply to the High Court for a will to be um, declared as a valid will if it does not comply with all the formalities. But it's, it's quite complicated and sometimes a bit difficult to prove. So there is an option, but it's always safer to just make sure that your will complies with all the requirements. Definitely, George, I agree. I think that's why it's a legal document, because these are legal requirements that must be taken very strictly and also to be on the safe side and just ensure that it's in accordance with the requirements. And in our third uh, scenario, it says John drafted a will leaving everything to Mary, but Mary signed the will as a witness. Will this be a valid will? So this is where it gets a little bit tricky as well, because when somebody who is mentioned in that will signs as a witness, um, for example, that person cannot inherit from that will. So it basically means that the will will not necessarily be completely invalid, but only that one clause might be invalid. So in this example, if we just say this is the entire um, will that only says Mary must inherit and Mary signs as a witness, if that's the only thing the will says, then the will will be invalid in this respect. But if it says something else and says that Litvia must be appointed as the executor, for example, that will still be valid because only the clause dealing with Mary and Mary's inheritance will not be invalid. So on that note as well, it's important to note that try and avoid that whoever you mention in the world, no matter for what reason, that they do not sign the will or draft the will in their own handwriting because it can lead to um, future com um, complications or disputes that others should be avoided as far as possible. 
Definitely, George. And I think the importance of having a will is to ensure that the disputes are minimal after you pass away. So it's very important to provide for everything that you want in your will and to ensure it's in line with the requirements so that you have fewer disputes as a smoother process when it comes to winding up of the entire estate. So it's good to uh, keep these requirements in mind. And our next scenario, George says, John drafted his will at home and he immediately signed it. He only asked two witnesses to sign it the following day. So will this be a valid will, George? So in this example, it will not be a valid will, Lucia. And the reason for that is, as I mentioned, the, the testator and the witnesses must sign in each other's presence. And the reason for that is when the witnesses sign, they don't know what's the content of the will. They don't know exactly what the will says. They, the main purpose for these witnesses is for, for them to ensure that it is indeed the testator signing that document, that there was no undue influence, that the testator is not being forced to do it, um, so that's the main aspect. And if that can't be done and there's a dispute about the, um, the will at the later stage, then these witnesses cannot be called because they cannot attest to the fact that, listen, we saw the testators signing these wills. And it, it, it does happen sometimes that, you know, it's late in the evening and you have this bright idea and I'm like, I need to get my will. And you just start drafting it and you sign it. Um, you can draft it on the evening and sign it the following day just make sure that when you then sign it it is in the presence of your two witnesses as well definitely george and i think sometimes these are minor things to us and we tend to overlook them but we need to understand that this is a legal document so we must comply with all of the requirements and even a minor thing like having your witnesses sign it the next day can invalidate your will so it's very important for us to bear that in mind and our last scenario george in respect of the requirements it says john downloaded a will but he made some changes on it with a pen. Apart from signing every page, John and the two witnesses also signed or initialed next to each change he made. Will that be considered a valid one, So in this instance, the fact that they signed next to the changes they made won't invalidate the will. So the will will still be a valid will. And it, the reason why you need to do that is again for the same reason as I explained earlier on, is to say that this what I wrote in here on that template. I did it freely and voluntarily, and I wasn't forced to do this. And the witnesses are there to attest to that and say, this is indeed the testator signing. So it is important to note that when you deal with that type of document, where you, you downloaded it and you just fill in the blanks, that you initial next to it, just for that extra bit of safety, together with signing every page, as well as at the end of the page as well. Thank you, George, taking us through the requirements and some of the practical scenarios as to how they would apply. And uh, I think now would be a good point to ask our second poll, which is, does your will comply with all the requirements? So with the requirements as George has just spoken about and some of the scenarios we've gone through, so maybe you can tell us, does your will comply with all the legal requirements? Yes, no, you're not sure, if you're not sure, please feel free to make use of our chat box function and we will happy to, we'll be happy to answer your questions at the end when we get to the Q&A section. So you can tell us, does your will comply with the legal requirements? Good to see that the majority of the um, attendees, their wills do comply with the requirement. Um, for that attendee whose will does not comply with the formalities, I think the next part will give some clarity in that respect because it means that your will is now invalid. And it basically means that there's no will, technically. So we're going to address what will happen when you do not have a will. 
um, which is an important thing. And this will highlight also the importance of having a will and why it's necessary to get that. So when we look at this, when you do not have a will, this is something that's regulated by the Interstate Succession Act. And there's a basic order um, set out as to who will inherit what. And as Litvia said earlier on, that when you do have a will, you do have some control over what will happen with your belongings after you pass away and who will get it. But when you do not have a will, the law will control who will get it. This Interstate Succession Act will say who must get and in what order. So when we just look at this basic order, this first point of contention will be to look at whether there's a spouse. And after that, they will look. The, the rules will look at whether they are children, then they're going into grandchildren, then to parents, and then to siblings. Um, and then it goes further on, but it basically the aim is to ensure that close relatives inherit. So if you have a friend that you want to leave something to, make that, that explains then the reason as to why you should have a will. Because if you do not have a will, your friend does not fall, fall under one of these categories. So it's then a bit complicated and makes it a bit difficult. So it's important to ensure that if you have specific wishes of what should happen with your belongings, that you do that in a will. With that being said, Litka, I think let's go and try and explain this a little bit easier with some scenarios. Definitely, George, and I think it's very good to look at the practical aspect of how the Interstate Succession Act would apply uh, in certain scenarios where the deceased and uh, they left or they survived by certain categories of people. So in our first scenario, George, you can just explain to us how the estate will devolve, where the deceased is survived only by a spouse. What would happen in that instance if you're looking at it in line with the Interstate Succession Act? So as I said previously, the first point of departure would be looking at whether there's a spouse. In this case, there's only a spouse. So that will mean that the spouse will inherit the entire estate. So with that example that we have here, there's 50,000 rand in the estate. It means that the spouse will inherit the entire 50,000 rand. So just to give a bit more clarity on spouse, it's, it also includes spouses with a, who are married in terms of the Marriage Act, same-sex civil unions in terms of the Civil Union Act, a spouse in religious marriages, and a polygamous spouses in terms of a customary marriage where a husband might have more than um, two spouses um, at the same time. So it is, does, does include a wide definition of what is a spouse. Just before we go on to the next scenario, Lydia, I would just like to mention something, and this is something that came up quite recently. As, as people in a long-term relationship are not technically married in terms of the law, that means that if they should, one of them should pass away, that the long-term partner will not inherit in terms of um, interstate succession because they are not married. However, the High Court has recently ruled in favor of such a long-term partner. And this must still be con confirmed by the Constitutional Court. But as we see that the law is constantly developing and as it goes along and it's developing and, and changing constantly, so it might happen that in the future, we will have that even long-term partners can inherit um, interstate. But as it stands currently, that's not the situation. So if you are in a long-term relationship and you want your partner to inherit from you, it is important to have a will in place and to make sure that your wishes are set out in that document. Definitely, George. Thank you for taking us through that where the deceased is survived by a spouse. And uh, we can see the closest relatives inheriting in terms of the Interstate Succession Act here. And uh, George, how would it work differently if the uh, deceased was survived only by children? So it's no longer a spouse, but by children. How would the estate then devolve, George? 
So in that case, there's no spouse here. So we're looking at children. I and mean, if there are only children um, survived by, you know, who, who survive, then we're looking at the, that the children will inherit in equal shares. So in this example, that 30,000 rand that was in the deceased estate will distribute equally to the three children, which amounts to an amount of 10,000 rand. Um, when we look at the term children, then it does include all biological children, and that's regardless of whether they were born from a marriage or not, as well as adopted children. So again, a bit wider definition from what, what was allowed in the past as well. So again, showing that the law is constantly developing this stuff. Definitely. Thank you, George. And I think this is also the um, uh, the root of many disputes in families as well, where you don't, uh, where you die without a will, and then there's many children, and there's a lot of disputes. So just to ensure, if you want your will uh, to express your your wishes and yours alone, have a will. Don't leave it up to interstate succession, where there's uh, room for much more interpretation, and then the law is going to take its course. So now that we have looked at where the deceased has a spouse and a deceased is survived by children. But what would happen, George, if, uh, if the deceased had uh, been survived by spouse and children? How would the estate then work? So that's where it becomes a little bit more complicated. And we cannot go into too much detail at this stage, but we, try, we are trying to at least give some clarity on how this will work. Just to bring that awareness again, to say that, oh, I can see why I should rather have a will, or I'm happy with this, and I will continue with how it is currently. But when, we, when a deceased is survived by a spouse and a child, you will look at the value that's available to inherit of that estate. So if that is less than 250,000 Rand, that means that the spouse will in inherit the entire amount. So in this example, the deceased has 30,000 Rand in the estate. It's less than, a, than the 250,000 Rand, meaning the spouse will get that amount and the children will unfortunately not inherit in this example. So it does um, complicate it a little bit when we go into a higher amount. And I think it's important that this is looked, uh, this is assessed on a case by case basis. So each person's estate will be distributed uh, differently depending on the value. Now, George, if we're looking at the same scenario where the deceased is survived by spouse and children, but here the estate is more than 250,000. So how then would the estate divide? So we, in that example, we can follow the same um, steps that we followed in the previous one and we look at the value and in this instance it's more than 250,000 rand which means that the estate will then be inherited by the spouse and children however this does not mean that it will be equally distributed so how the law then explains this is that the basic rule is that the spouse will inherit the highest amount of a child's share or 250,000 rand and if we look at the, um, the word child's share it basically means that the, that the spouse will be considered to be a child for this calculation, just to be a child of, this, of the deceased. So if we look at this, if we count up, then there will, they will technically be three children. And if you divide the um, deceased estate of 300,000 rand, divided by that with three, then we get 100,000 rand each. But when we look at the formula again, it says the highest amount of that child's share, which is 100,000, or the 250,000 rand. In this case, 250,000 rand is higher, which means the surviving spouse will get that amount and the balance will be distributed equally between the children, which then amounts to 25,000 each. So it does get a bit more complicated and the law tries to get to that point where the spouse must at least where it's available get 250,000 rand of the deceased estate. And that's what it, what it boils down. 
And as you said, Lutfia, it does depend on every person. Every person's disease state is a different situation and it, it may seem a bit different. But the, the reason for these scenarios is just to illustrate and to, you know, just see that this is out of our control. We do not have control of what the law will say, how our estates must be distributed after we pass away. Definitely, George, and I can see how complicated it can get when it comes to the Interstate Succession Act, but thank you for bringing out the clarity. I must say I understand it much better now. And now that we've looked at what a will is, what are some of the legal requirements, we've put that into some practical scenarios. We've also looked at what happens if you don't have a will and how the Interstate Succession Act would apply and distribute our state uh, in line with the rules of the Interstate Succession Act. It's also important when we going through the importance of having a will, knowing what the different types of wills are so that we know based on our circumstances and based on uh, our needs, we can choose the correct will. And that will help us to understand and uh, execute our will correctly. So when you're looking at uh, the different types of wills, there's three types of wills that we'll be discussing today. And it can be different depending on your personal circumstances. And when you're looking at a simple will, now a simple will, George, is one of the most common forms of wills used. And this is done by one person to express their um, their wishes. So they will then state, if we have, for example, John wants to do a simple will, he will do a single will for him that will express his wishes. So John will say, I want my vehicle to go to a certain person, I want my house to go to a certain person. It will be a simple will, a single will, which will express his wishes entirely and how his estate alone will devolve. And then you look at a joint will. Now, a joint will is where two persons separately will provide for their estate in one will. Now, this is commonly used between spouses married in community of property. So where you have John and Mary, for example, who are married in community of property and they have one estate, they will then provide for their estate in that one will. And lots of the times when it comes to a joint will between spouses, uh, they would usually uh, um, uh, bequeath most of the stuff to the surviving spouse. So they will say the surviving of us inheriting the entire estate and in the event of a simultaneous death, then it will express both their wishes. But important to note is when you're doing this joint will, it will express both your wishes and how you both have decided for your estate to obviously uh, be, uh, be distributed. And when you're looking at the last will, which is massing, it's not a very common term we use these days, George. It's, uh, uh, it does exist though. Massing is where two or more persons, um, now, when you're coming to massing, it says two or more persons who come together. Now, important to note is this, it's two or more persons with their own separate testamentary capacity. So you, George, uh, have testamentary capacity. I have testamentary capacity. Although we share no relationship with each other, but we both can come together and mass both our states and provide for it in one world. So, George, you can bring your assets through. I can bring my assets. And in that one world, we can mass both our states and provide for both our um, our states in that one world. So I don't know, George, if you're thinking about it anytime soon, you can think about that. Yeah. Um, that explains it well, Olivia. And I just want to, as you said, um, massing is not quite a common term that everybody knows about, but it is something important to keep, you know, keep note of. And just to explain to that, and as Olivia said, it is in the sense of two people joining your wills, your, your, your estates together in one. And, and the consequence of that is that if it is a successful massing, because when the one, one of the parties pass away, the surviving party does have the option to accept the massing still or not. But if it is accepted, it basically means that the surviving party 
well, their estate will also be distributed. So that basically means that the surviving party will not have anything at that stage. So it does have its purposes um, in there, but it does have a lot of consequences and, and quite severe consequences as well. If you do not get um, proper advice before considering that, um, you know, you want to match your estate with, with someone else. Um, but I think, yeah, it's important to keep in mind that there are these there are different types of wills and it depends on your personal circumstances. Again, as we said previously. So as we continue, then we are going to look at what basic clauses can you include in your will. And there are no hard and fast rules as to what type of clauses must be in a will. And again, it depends on each person and their personal circumstances. But we are going to highlight just a few of the important ones and the most common clauses that will be included. So the first one we're looking at is your personal information clause. And that's the beginning of the clause, which will say who the testator is, what the ID number is, where they are residing, what the marital status is. Um, you know, just giving all that personal information so that whoever deals with this will after that person passes away knows exactly who they are dealing with. So there's no confusion at this point. The next clause that we're looking at will be the revocation clause. And I feel that this is an important clause. Um, and just to highlight, the word revocation basically boils down to meaning cancellation. And with this clause, it means that you are cancelling all your previous wills and testamentary documents that you drafted before you drafted this current will. And the consequence of not having this clause in is that if you have more than one will, one dated after the other one, and both of them are valid in terms of the requirements we explained. Both of these wills will have to be considered when your estate is being distributed. And it can lead to some confusion as well, because if I have, I want in my first will, I said, I want to give my house to my cousin. But now in the next will, I say, I want to give my house to Litvia, for example. If both of those wills are considered to be valid because I didn't revoke or cancel the previous will, which one will they have to follow now? Who must my house go to? So it does complicate it. And it's important to consider this clause and to say that, listen, when you draft a new will, that you cancel all your previous wills and you just ensure that whatever you have in your latest will is exactly your wishes so that, you can so that they can comply with that. Then when we look at the next clause, it's the appointment of the executor. And when we talk about the executor, this is the person who will be responsible for administering your estate after you pass away, making sure that everything is done according to law, that your assets are being collected, that the creditors are being paid, that admin fees are paid, um, all the costs are paid, and then distributed according to your will. So in this instance, it is possible for an executor to be appointed if you do not have a will where your heirs, um, you know, the beneficiaries of your deceased estate will then come and nominate a will um, or the master will just appoint an, an, an executor. So it is important to make sure that you have this clause in your will so that you can say, I want this specific person to deal with my um, deceased estate after I pass away. And it does not have to be necessarily a professional, but it, it can be anybody. And they do have the power to substitute um, with someone else or to appoint someone to administer the estate. And they will just be responsible for overseeing the process. Um, if we go on then to the next one, it is the appointment of heirs. And this is the basic one. And, and as we've highlighted now, one of the most important clauses, because this is where you will say, I have all of these assets and belongings accumulated during my lifetime. And this is how I want to distribute it. 
And the important part of this is that you must make sure that you are specific um, with who you want to inherit as well as what you want them to inherit. So when we're dealing with the who part, be specific, have a name, a surname, and if possible, even an ID doc, an ID number so to illustrate exactly that you have, your wishes were that this specific person should inherit. I might know more than one Litvia. So if I just put in my world that Litvia must inherit, which one of the Litvias must they inherit? So that's why give that little bit of more certainty. When we deal with your property or your belongings, also as much detail as possible so that you can so that there's no confusion. You can't say, I want my car to go to Litvia when I pass away. If you have more than one car, which car must it be? So be specific with the make, the model, um, as well as if you want to, you can even put the color in. But just so that whoever deals with your estate, your executor, then knows exactly what must happen. Um, and then we are all, another common clause that's also inserted in the world is the exclusion of community of property. And as we are probably aware that when people are married in community of property, they have a joint estate, meaning they own about, they basically own 50% of everything that they got during the marriage. So if this clause is in someone's will and another person who's in a joint, uh, who's married in community of property inherits from this will, this clause basically says that whatever they inherit will not form part of that joint estate. So whatever they inherit in terms of this will will then form part of their separate estate as, and not part of the joint estate. So this is also a common clause that can be included. Another one is you can also stipulate whether you, uh, there are specific legal guardians that you want if you have minor children. So the legal guardians who must um, you know, take care of your children after you pass away. And when we look at that, it's important to also remember that this is not the final saying on this aspect, because as the laws in South Africa is, are very clear, is that the best interests of the child must always be taken into account and that the High Court will have the final say. So if you say someone must be appointed as your legal guardians and the High Court feels that this is not in the best interest mm -hmm. of the children, they can override that. So, but it is a good thing to include this in your world because it gives some guidance as to what your wishes were about the minor children. Definitely. Thank you, George, for taking us through some of the clauses. And I think uh, it's important to note that sometimes there may be more or maybe less clauses depending on a person's uh, circumstances. So uh, it can be changed as well. But these are some of the basics and some of the most important ones in our world that should be included. And uh, when we're looking at a world, George, and the importance of having a world, it's also important to note how often should we update our worlds. So I think sometimes it's very important for us to look at this aspect because sometimes we have worlds uh, for a period of 10 to 15 years sometimes, and we don't ever go back and review them. But we need to understand that at the time of our death, it needs to be the most recent wishes of the testator. So it's important for you to note that anytime your personal circumstances change, you must get into the habit of updating your work. So for example, if you had disposed of an asset which was initially uh, included in terms of your will, if uh, you gave back to a child or if one of the, the heirs nominated in terms of your will passes away, it's important for you to update your will so that these are your last uh, wishes at the time of your death and the most recent. And I also, George, for me personally, I try and get into a habit of reviewing it once a year 
because uh, sometimes I might not even realize that this has changed or the circumstances change. But it's good to get into a habit of reviewing once a year so that you know it's constantly updated, constantly up to date with how I want my wishes to, uh, how I want my uh, estate to devolve and my wishes to, to go along in my will. And when you're looking at personal circumstances, George, one very often um, uh, thing to look at when you say change in per personal circumstances is a divorce. So how would a divorce work, George? How will that impact on the world that we, that we have? That does have an impact. Um, and the law then specifically makes um, you know, provision for this. The thing is, uh, people might think that you know, when you get a divorce, that whatever you have in your world, maybe if you still, we were married and I said my spouse Litvia must inherit my entire estate, but now we got a divorce, so it means like, ah, she's not going to inherit now anymore because we got a divorce. And so people must be careful about that because that doesn't mean that it will happen in that instance. So as, as you said, Litvia, that you must try and um, change your world or update your world when personal circumstances change. And I know it's, it's sometimes difficult and you forget about it. Um, and that's why I also agree with you to say that you must get into the habit of changing your world, updating your world on an annual basis. But in this instance with the divorce, the, when the legislators adopted this part, they, they kind of assumed at some point that, you know, you might not have time immediately after a divorce to go and amend your will. So they're giving you a, a, a bit of a leeway of about three months where they give you the benefit of the doubt and say, well, should you then pass away within three months after the divorce? You might not have had that time to go and change your world yet if you wanted to change it so that your spouse does not inherit anymore. So if that happens and you pass away within three months, whatever is left to the spouse in your world will not be um, applicable then. So that means that your ex-spouse now will not inherit anything. But if you wait longer than three months without updating your will and you pass away longer than three months after the divorce, the legislator's intention was that, you know, you had enough time now to go and amend your will if you wanted to. So they're assuming that if you didn't change your will, not to make provision for your um, ex-spouse anymore, that you still had the intention for her, him or her to inherit from your deceased estate. And that means that the spouse will still inherit. So this is something important to take note of. And it's one of those personal circumstances that must be considered and think about um, changing it, um, just to make sure that it's updated. And with that, Lucia, I can also just explain a little bit that the wording of the will will also be taken into account. If I say my spouse, Litvia, must inherit, but by the time I pass away, Litvia is not my spouse anymore, um, you know, it means that Litvia will still inherit if I didn't change my will. But let's take, for example, I just said my spouse must inherit. I didn't give a name, I just said the word spouse. That makes it a little bit more complicated and interesting because when you look at that, there's no name mentioned. So whoever is my spouse at the time when I pass away can be considered to inherit in terms of my will because unless there's something else that says that, oh, I didn't mean that that specific spouse must inherit. So it's important to, to, you know, there's a lot of aspects that must be taken into account when we deal with wills or interpreting wills or, you know, thinking about drafting a will. Um, but the wording is really important and that's why as i said earlier on to be as specific as possible so that there's no confusion um, when you pass away yeah i was just going to say i think the divorce is one of the very big 
changing personal circumstances. So I think you should make it where if you are going through a divorce or if your divorce is going to be finalized soon, uh, please make that appointment, get your will updated and done and make sure it expresses your current wishes so that you know it's updated. So that brings us to the end of our very short crash course. And I know it was quite an you know, overload of information in this instance, but you, you can still chat to LegalWise and, and maybe it's also go to the website, the LegalWise website, where you can um, also access this information. So I think um, we still have some time left over. There are a few questions and I know that um, we also got some questions during registration that we can also address in this instance. So I think we can let Jelica um, join us and she's just going to ask us some questions. Um, I also have a few that I remember from registration as well. Okay, George, we have one. What happens if I die without a will and I don't have anyone to inherit? Let's see, are you one to take that one? Well, I think it's in terms of if you don't have uh, anyone to inherit. So remember when you're looking at the basic principles or you're looking at the categories of people in terms of the interstate succession act. So if you don't have a spouse, you don't have children, you don't have grandchildren, parents, siblings, uh, your entire estate is going to be uh, forfeited to the state. So basically, because you have no next kin, remember the, uh, the point behind having the Interstate Succession Act is closest relatives. So if you can't satisfy any of those categories of closest relatives, uh, that's what will happen. Yeah, and, and, and again, just highlighting that fact of you do not have control of what will happen with your belongings. Again, just emphasizing the importance of having a will. Any other okay. questions? Yes, George. Um, how will your loved ones know that you have left a will behind if you haven't mentioned this um, to any of your family members? Hmm. So that's an interesting question. And I feel that because it is difficult and you don't always want people to know that you have a will or that they are mentioned in a will. But it is important for you to think about you know, who do you trust? And maybe if you appointed someone, if I appointed you, Jelica, as my executor, I should at least maybe tell you and say, listen, I have a will in place and I appointed you as an executor. This is where it is kept safe um, so that you at least know who, where to find it should I pass away. Um, so that's an important thing. And I think it adds on and I can just maybe add as well to say that and a question that we received as well in the registration was that who can draft the will? And I think, and you'll, you'll see now why I mention it now, is that anybody can draft the will. You must just be older than 16 years of age and you can draft your own will. Or you can get a professional, um, for example, an attorney. Um, and then when you get that professional, they sometimes keep the original of the will in safekeeping for you. So it also depends on who you use to draft the will. But in most instances, if you draft your own will and you want to keep your will, in safekeeping, at least let someone know about that world, where it is kept, and just to make sure that they do know how to find it when you pass away. Okay, and George, with regards to massing, um, why would two people who are not spouses want to mass their estate? Like, what would be the purpose of massing two um, estates together? Letlia, you maybe want to take that one? Well, we covered it in the in the registration as well george regarding massing and and well the thing is the provision is there so two people may want to come sometimes it's business partners sometimes it could, could be close relatives so sometimes if you share common interest so if we have a business together sometimes you may have parents that have a child 
but they're not legally married and they're not spouses. In that instance as well, if you want to provide for uh, both your estates to go to the child, if you'll have one child. So there's a various factors that can be taken into account. Mm -hmm. But usually if you have a common interest or you, you share a common uh, asset or a common goal, you the law makes provision for you to mass your estates and provide for it in that uh, world. Thanks, Lipsia. I agree with that. Um, just as, as another question that I got um, with, while we were busy with preparing and with the legislations as well, and I think it's something um, one of the attendees is actually joining us asked as well is if what happens if the executor is outside of the country and in that instance it is possible for your executor to sit outside of the country um, and not to be here it will uh, it will however complicate the procedure a little bit because the executor is the person who's responsible for this administration of the state to be done properly and in accordance to law so that means um, you know putting a signature on documents constantly approving stuff, making sure that everything is going according to plan. So if that person is not in South Africa or nearby, it does make it a little bit complicated. However, it doesn't mean that it's not impossible at all. So what will happen then in that instance is that that executor do have the right to assume someone else to be appointed as the new executor, or they can appoint someone else, for example, an attorney to come to do the administration of these things. So they will give the attorney then power, um, you know, power of attorney, who will then be allowed to sign all documents on behalf of the executor, um, and then they can do that. So it is possible for that to happen. However, as I said, it does complicate it a little bit, and I don't know if you maybe have something to add in that um, aspect, Lydia. No, I think you've covered it, George, and I think these are some of the very important practical aspects for us to look at. Like even with the earlier question, where you keep your will, who knows you have a will. In this instance, when it comes to the executor and the administration, there's various um, uh, requirements that must be done. The accounts need to be laid, a liaison with the master's office. So I think it's very important for us to consider these practical aspects, even when we as testators are drafting our own wills. Consider this so that you know once you pass away, you are going to be covered in this regard. And uh, the law does make provision to say, uh, the appointed executor, as you correctly mentioned, not can assume responsibilities so that it just makes the administration of the state much smoother and much more practical. And there's obviously minimal disputes. And that's ultimately what we wishing to achieve in the importance of having a will. Minimal disputes, a smoother administration. And then, you know, everything's done. The heirs get what they deserve. And, you know, everything's done correct. No, that, that's good. And just something to add on that. I think also important, as you said now, you know, to make sure everybody's with their wishes we do not have nobody has that right to inherit you do have only a hope to inherit at some point um, i know we see sometimes on television people are getting upset that you know the parents sold the house it's their inheritance you do not have a right to inherit anything at that point as Lithia, as you said Lithia, you have the testator has that freedom of gestation to choose what must happen with it with, with their belongings so it's that case again with the importance of having a will just to make sure that what you want is being done um, properly. Um, any other questions, Angelica? Okay, I think we have time for just one last quick question. Um, are stepchildren viewed as children in, in terms of interstate law? Um, so with interstate law and stepchildren, stepchildren will not be considered um, in that instance because we looked at it and said it's biological children or adopted children. So unless those stepchildren were adopted by the deceased um, before they passed away, then that's the only time when they um, 
will be considered um, for interstate succession. I see there's another question or a comment, and it's about the burial wishes, about, you know, when you, you have any requirements of where you want to be buried. And this is also an important aspect and something you can mention in your book. Again, it's as a guideline. Um, it's not always enforceable because there might be other factors that must be taken into account. But case law has shown in the past um, where the courts just went with what the wishes of the deceased are. For example, if I want to be buried in a certain manner, or you know whether you want to be cremated or uh, you know buried or at a specific location, um, that will then be taken into account for the. Um, you know your heirs and the people who's going to take care of this um, after you pass away just to know what your wishes are as well and it, it is definitely something you can also include in your work thanks everyone for that comment so i think then that's all of it all of our questions if there's no more questions you do still have some time as we you can interrupt us maybe but um as we we end up i just want to say thanks to Lechvia and angelica for joining me and for all the attendees and helen in the background who you can't see um, who's responsible for all of that. I just want to thank all of them. Yes, definitely. Thank you to everyone who's attended. We hope that after this, those of you who don't have a will, you are going to go right away and get your will. For those that need your will updated, you're going, up, going to update it as well. And that you've learned something from today. So thank you for joining us. And uh, we're very happy to be with you today. Okay, once again, thank you to everyone for joining us. And I hope everyone has a great day ahead. And thank you again. Bye. Bye.